Welcome to the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John, and welcome to Season 2, Lost Episode 1. I'm joined by our new co-host, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? My name is Ryan. Happy to be here. Uh, me and John, we met a couple years ago. We've been playing D&D, talking video games for a few years, and he invited me to be on the podcast now. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining in now. So... In previous podcasts, we've started with typically a crappy game challenge where we uh, pick a game for each. Uh, James and myself in the past would pick a game for one another that was on our shelf and we play through it and we would complain as to how bad it actually was. And many of those were absolutely terrible. But unlike uh, John and James, I don't have a vast collection of retro games to talk about. So we're going to be changing things up a little bit, bringing things a little bit in a new direction. So rather than doing the crappy game challenge, we're going to be transitioning into the game deflation challenge, which is, is a game worth it or not? Yeah. So we'll be going into that uh, probably in this podcast. Uh, we'll test it out. We had a game that we recently played um, about a week ago, fire and ice on the NES and uh, we'll talk about if that game is truly worth that 100 plus price tag or if it is totally not worth it. Uh, I can tell you right off the bat, I don't think it is, but we'll see. So recent pickups this week. Uh, That's something new we're going to be going into. Uh, Ryan and I are trying to make a good effort at picking up a game whenever we can uh, during the week, uh, playing it and then discussing it with you all. So some of my pickups this week included Prince of Persia on the NES and Revenge of Shinobi on the Sega Genesis. So starting with Prince of Persia, I played a little bit of it. It's kind of a platform puzzle type game where you kind of solve to get through a level within a set time period. Not really my style of game. Uh, I can see where there's a lot of, you know, fun from certain people that, you know, they would enjoy this type of gameplay. Uh, There's traps and there's floors that fall through and enemies that you have to avoid and, you know, tons of interesting stuff. It's just personally for me, it's not my type of game. Uh, The game itself is currently sitting at about 20 bucks loose for a cart. Honestly, in a little bit of time I played it, I don't see it. I I would not pay that much, Um, but it is what it is. Uh, Also with that game, uh, when I picked it up, so an interesting thing was completely covered with stickers. We're talking stickers on the sides, stickers on the back, metal strips for uh, security purposes at Blockbuster. It was a previous Blockbuster rental. Uh, we had a giant piece of paper lined up on the side that was actually glued, not a sticker adhesive, but glued on there. Um, went ahead and took care of that, cleaned it up. Uh, looks pristine now. You can actually see that on the Game Deflators Facebook page. Moving on to Revenge of Shinobi, uh, I played about 30 to 40 minutes of that game. It is a hack and slash platformer. It was launched out in uh, 1989. And... My copy that I have is, um, I guess, the the higher-end Genesis copy. Picked it up complete in box a little bit ago for a few bucks. Uh, It was about $35 is what it ranges for on the complete in box level for that high-end copy. Uh, But loose, you can get it for like 10 bucks. Nothing crazy. Uh, Digitally, if you're into that kind of thing, I think Ryan is actually uh, $5, I think, on the PlayStation Network. So great game overall split up into i believe it's eight districts with three levels two of which are a platform style and then you've got a um each and then you have your one boss level essentially so 
the game itself at the five to 10 range, if you were going to pick it up for that much, I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's actually a lot of fun and, uh, I enjoyed myself. So Ryan, has there been anything that you picked up recently? Yeah, actually it's been kind of a busy week for me. So I picked up my switch last year and I've always been a, you know, box physical copy kind of guy, but with the switch, I'm starting to see the advantage of going all digital. I mean, the switch is basically a best of steam library and a lot of those releases aren't going to have physical releases. So I've been picking up a lot of smaller indie titles and I'm just thinking I'm going to pick everything up on my switch through the digital. Cause, um, so this week alone, I picked up, uh, first I picked up wizard of legend, 1599, you know, it's pretty good. It's a, uh, you might've seen it online. A lot of people have been playing it recently. It's a, um, it's a fun kind of roguelike roguelite. You restart through the same missions, every level you pick up, uh, crystals as you go along. And in the actual missions, you pick up gold so that you can buy temporary buffs to try to get further and progress each time you play. The farther you go, the more crystals you get, the more long-term wealth you develop for your character. And you use all of those resources to go back and pick up new spells, new gear to try to make it further the next time. It's a fun game. It's pretty challenging. And I played it for a couple days and then I kind of was like, you know what? I'll pick up something new. So I went on, I bought into the breach, into the breach, 14 bucks. And I heard a lot about this game month or two ago from a, another podcast that I listened to, uh, the dad and sons podcast, check them out. They are great. Now they talked about it as the indie game of the year for a couple of them. They were really into it. It's a hardcore strategy RPG for uh, tactical-minded players. Small grid-based battle systems, short missions, but it's meant to be challenging and meant to be perfected. There's no retry the level. Once you lose, you can restart the timeline. It involves time travel and you want to be on top of it. You don't want to mess up and kind of start slowly snowball losing over time. You want to be on top of it as you go. So it, it was really hard for me. I, I tried it for like a day and I just really couldn't get it into it. And then I saw the messenger, uh, the completionist, Gerard Khalil on uh, YouTube. Check him out. He's awesome too. He sold me on the messenger and the messenger is fantastic. It's another ninja side scrolling action beat em up platformer like the Shinobi revenge of the Shinobi that uh, John was playing, but it is hands down the best game out of these three that I've played. It's got tons of content unlockables as you go through uh you gotta kind of build your own as you go 
prioritizing, whether you want health, whether you want to rely on uh, your shurikens and magic as you go through. Challenging gameplay, unique bosses, and I, I love it. I, I think it's fantastic. I've already gotten through about the first eight or nine stages just in a day and a half, and I'm I'm really into it. I'm thinking that it's it's probably my top pick out of these three. It was definitely the most expensive out of the three. Into the Breach, Rami 14, Wizard of Legend 16, The Messenger 20. But out of those three pickups, I got about a buck fifty in Nintendo points, the gold coin points that you get if you buy through digital downloads. So you can use those points to reinvest in your library to get more games later on. And I think that that's why the Switch as a space-saving, shelf-sparing kind of console, giving you the best of Steam and the best of you know ports from other consoles, going digital with the Switch, that's what I'm doing. And every time I buy digital, it gives me more points towards buying more digital and that's how uh that's how i'm trying to bring my difference to john's vast collection of retro games and that that's kind of what we're going for here if if john can keep getting his content through the resale and used market of older retro games you know i i We'll see where Switch goes. I know that there's not a whole lot of details yet on a virtual console. I'm pretty sure they're going to do some kind of subscription-based service for that is what I've heard. But, you know, we'll we'll take this down the rabbit hole and we'll see where it goes with uh, John's taste and my taste and, and, and where we go from here. Yeah, definitely an interesting take on the, uh, the Switch itself. So I also own a Switch, but... Uh, kind of unlike Ryan, I'm using it primarily as an idiot, I guess, um, for hard copies of games. I'm still very much in a mindset of I like my physical copies. So right now I'm staring at a copy of uh, Axiom Verge Special Edition and Fire Emblem, uh, as well as a couple other titles like Cave Story that I know has a digital release, um, Mario Rabbids, Mario Odyssey. So they're all titles that, can I get them digitally? Yeah. Do I want a hard copy? Yeah, I'm a sucker for it. Overall, though, uh, you know, Ryan, is there anything that you're currently playing right now outside of, you know, the, the few games that you recently picked up? Uh, yeah, a couple weeks ago, also digitally, I picked up the Insane Trilogy for the Switch because I love seeing Crash, the former I'm going to take down Mario as a platformer mascot for a console. Love seeing him on Nintendo now. Because back in the day, Crash was the PlayStation guy. I mean, you remember the commercials? Him standing outside of Nintendo with the megaphone yelling out. Now he's uh, now he's on there. And next year, I'm looking forward to seeing Spyro on there, too. So uh, I've been trying to grind my way through that. It's way harder than I remember. And I remember it being hard. Uh, anybody who's played it knows the bridge levels where you're on the suspension bridges. I made it through the first one. I had to cheese my way through the second one by running along the handrails. You can do that if you don't know about it. 
it's way easier. It takes a little bit to get used to, but you can cheese through it. I've got about three levels to go through on Crash 1, and I'm determined to beat that before I move on to the rest of it. So I'm working that way through those slowly. And then uh, I just got on to uh, Prey uh, 2017 uh, with my wife. We just started playing through that last weekend, and I've seen a lot about it online. I, I've seen a lot of uh, in-depth stuff for great in-depth on Prey. Check out Noah Caldwell Gervais on YouTube. He does brilliant long-form video essays. If you've got an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours to spare, he has fantastic videos that will take you all the way through an entire series. You want to see how Mass Effect 1 through Mass Effect 3 goes down? Check out his stuff. He will show you things and tell you things that you may have never really considered. So, you know, it's great content, but pray. Uh, I, I saw his video. I decided to jump into it and check it out. Me and my wife, we love scary games. And so we jumped into that. It's pretty fun. We, we've only had one session so far. We're going to play it more tonight. But she's spooked. I'm spooked. And it's it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous game. The graphics are amazing. I, I know where the story is going. And I'm excited to see how the details of that unfold and how the uh, level architecture plays out. Because I know there's a lot of in-depth mechanics with the weapons and their versatility. And I'm excited to see those in action rather than just hear about the more open-ended ideas behind the game. What about you, John? What have you been playing lately? Yeah, so lately I've been playing Horizon Zero Dawn on the PS4. Gotta say, that game is fantastic. I've put in probably about 48 hours of gameplay so far. Kind of regret the decision of picking it up at 20 bucks recently. Definitely feel it deserved the full $60 price tag that it came out at. Uh, endless, endless hours of gameplay so far for me. Uh, reminds me really of a, kind of a Fallout type of game, Fallout 3, Fallout 4. Post-apocalyptic type setting, you have this um, essentially outlander named Aloy um, who goes around hunting machines for the most part. And there's a ton of side missions that the game takes you through. So, you know, as far as you know, stopping bandits, hunting different machines, um, helping bring back up these religious figures and, and kings and such of the Sundom uh, throughout the game. It's just all around. It's great. There's different environments. Uh, the game itself will actually have, uh, it has night and day, just like a fallout. It has rain elements in it, uh, snow elements. If you're in the snowy mountain type area, rushing rivers, it's just overall, I've truly enjoyed the game. A lot of that time has seriously been spent on side missions so far because I'm just enjoying the side missions so much. Uh, in fact, I just finished one the other day that uh, really felt like the end of a game. Uh, the overall cinematic ending for that side mission felt like I was completing a game. And it just, you know, it probably took me an hour to go through the side mission as a whole between the sneaking around and killing 
uh, robots to uh, actually finding the individuals that need to be rescued and bringing them back to this kingdom. So at the end of the day, I, I just sat there playing this. I'm like, wow, this was that that to me just kind of called out at that point. Yeah. So overall, Horizon Zero Dawn, definitely pick it up if you haven't done so yet. I think you'll truly enjoy it. Totally worth it. Um, another game that I am looking at playing again pretty soon is going to be Hoshigami. So I've talked about it in a previous podcast episode, very grind heavy style game. Uh, in my opinion, it, it's a good story so far. It's on the PlayStation one. If anybody hasn't seen that before, it's kind of a final fantasy tactics style RPG. Uh, you've got, you know, various characters you can pick up through, um, the guild and whatnot, and you can level them up periodically. The only major issue, though, that I see in games like this is the permakill aspect. So you can have a character you've leveled up to level 30, and you know, you're pretty far into the game and have all these great abilities, everything set up for them, and then they die in the middle of the battle. That's it. You don't get them back. There's no reviving. It's once they have fainted in the in the level, they're gone. And so that's just something that kind of sucks because you have to continually grind out for all of these different characters to have backups and takes so long. And so for me, that's kind of been my issue with that game, but overall pretty good game. Speaking of permadeath in a grind heavy game, uh, I've recently convinced John that maybe we should get into the Pokemon Let's Go Eevee and Let's Go Pikachu. We've each got a Switch, and one of us could pick up each of those. So John has been a fervent player of Pokemon Go since launch. I put in a ton of miles, a ton of steps for about a month and a half, like the rest of you, when the game first launched two years ago, and I've put on 15 pounds since. So I'm interested to see between us who can do it who can become the one that catches them all the best that there ever was so if you're interested maybe we could do a nuzlocke which is permadeath anybody who's not familiar with nuzlocke challenge in pokemon that's where your pokemon if they die you got to release them you get to catch one pokemon per numbered route and it's the first one that you encounter sometimes people do a uh, no doubles where if you encounter a nidoran female and you already have a nidoran female you'll make it your next one that you run into and uh you know d depending on the interest that we get feedback on maybe we can do that if uh if there's enough interest i know that i've never been able to go through a Pokemon Nuzlocke challenge before because once my starter dies, I'm just too disheartened and I can't go on with it. But if, if you guys want, let us know, let us know the optional rules that you might be interested in and we'll see uh, who becomes the Pokemon master and uh, who is the Pokemon disaster. Well, I mean, at the rate of current trends, uh, if you are, unknowing of this, I may have to do a few microtransactions to keep my Pokemon alive. So we'll see who wins that one. Uh, and speaking of microtransactions, some recent news just came out uh, with EA. And so 
EA has gone on record saying that they believe, or they believe that they're working through some, or working with some specific groups on education and that it's not meant to be patronizing, uh, but they really just want to understand the notion of choice and uh, commitment to making games fun and fair. Now, if some of you were not aware, there was a while back when they released Battlefront 2, uh, EA decided that they were going to have microtransactions available in which gamers could either play and have a rewarding feeling uh, for playing the game and having some unlockables from that that did kind of affect the game, or you could have the choice to buy those items and also affect the game. So really creating, in a sense, an unfair advantage for individuals that could afford microtransactions versus individuals that could not. And uh, one thing Ryan and I were just discussing a little bit ago was, um, you know, is it fair? I mean, if you have the ability to purchase a great weapon or a character that might have special abilities versus an individual has to block out like 40 hours of gameplay just to get that same exact item. And so, uh, Ryan, what is uh, your take on that? So I've seen some content on this before. Uh, if you haven't seen the initial controversy, I would recommend you go check out Super Bunny Hop on YouTube. He did a great breakdown on this. So the ability to pay to win, it's been all over gaming for, a, you know, at least four or five years now since DLC and microtransactions became popular. I think it's total BS. If you want to put up a microtransaction system, make it cosmetic. The best source that I've seen for this, Path of Exile. Uh, used to be a PC exclusive, now available on Xbox One also. It's a great Diablo 3 style dungeon crawler. Loads of character customization, loads of build customization. All the microtransactions go to support this game as a free-to-play product, purely cosmetic. There's no pay-to-win, none of that. And that's the way you're going to do it. In, a, uh, in the recent light of EA's uh, new updates with their developments, we checked out an article by Cinema Blend, and they said that, they said this, quote, in October, you'll have your first opportunity to play as General Grievous, who will be available to play on the villain side. He will have his collection of lightsabers that will make the cut similar to his appearance in Pandemic's rendition of Star Wars Battlefront 2. So, General Grievous, four lightsabers? How many lightsabers does Luke Skywalker have? Two? Three? Let's make those microtransactions. Like, give me Luke. I bought the game so that I could go out and cut down stormtroopers as Luke Skywalker. But give that to everyone. Give me the option to have a blue or a green lightsaber. That's an easy cosmetic change. You don't have to change anything with the character, but it makes that character your own. It makes the game a little bit more you. And it just bring the art department in to change some little things like that. Why not have, you know, just something that doesn't give you a distinct edge. Cause if I can just buy the ability to beat you, 
what's even the point of playing the game? Like if we're not going to play fair or it's going to take you 40 hours to get onto my level, but you're going to have to grind through that 40 hours being beaten down by somebody that had a little bit more money. That's completely not fair. Just give me the same things, the same thing that we're all there for, which is the Star Wars, the characters. Give me those, but give me the little references instead of the actual pay-to-win aspects of the game. That's what's really important. Yeah, I'd, I'd fully agree with that. Um, you know, we could probably go hours upon hours. In fact, I think we have in the past going on with microtransactions and DLC content and everything else. And, uh, you know, if it should even be a thing uh, and we can get more into that later on down the road. But, yeah, I'm fully with you, man. As far as like cosmetic types of designs uh, with characters. Yeah, I mean, I can see that being a viable option for companies to make more money. You want a, a Darth Maul style lightsaber to go with Luke Skywalker? Well, guess what? It's going to cost you a buck. Like, you know, nothing crazy. Uh, I think uh, Nintendo's obviously done that in the past with their uh, with their games. If you wanted to play Cloud, I think, for example, on the Wii U, you had to pay, what was it, like five bucks or something for like a downloadable pack. I don't recall offhand, but they had a lot of character downloads that you could do for DLC. Am I a big fan of that? Not really, but you know, if you paid for the full-blown game of Smash Bros. and here's everybody was going to be included, and now you want to play with somebody else, or something else that gives you uh, no advantage, just purely cosmetic, I, I don't see a viable reason why they shouldn't be able to do that. Now, going into our recent inflation or deflation challenge... Uh, Ryan and I recently played Fire and Ice on the NES. So right now, Fire and Ice is sitting at about 130 bucks for a loose cartridge and 200 complete. I have no idea why, uh, but we'll go into it. So Fire and Ice is essentially a puzzle platformer in the sense more of a, a puzzle for the most part. You are taking ice cubes and you're moving them around in a variety of different areas and you have fire that puts out the ice and you're trying to essentially get rid of all of the fires. Um, so that's a general gist of the gameplay, at least from a first level standpoint or first world, uh, if, if you will. Uh, overall, my experience playing the game, I thought it was okay. I mean, I would never pay 130 bucks to play this game. Uh, I might pay 15 bucks if there was a digital version. Even that's kind of uh, kind of pushing it for me. Um, the overall artwork, kind of cutesy, kind of cool looking. Um, the idea of just pushing cubes into fire for an entire game just does not seem very appealing to me. While it may have, you know, some interesting puzzles that take some work to get through, uh, it kind of reminds me, in a sense, of Angry Birds. Angry Birds, you were doing the exact same thing every single level. You were trying to kill off a few pigs here and there with a variety of different birds. This is lower than that. This is, I am pushing cubes onto fire and trying to put out fire. Um, in my opinion, totally not worth it. If I can buy an Angry Birds and kind of have the same type of enjoyment, why would I spend 130 bucks? to have that same type of enjoyment it just does not make sense to me. Uh, Ryan, did you, uh, did you find interest in this game? Okay. So I'm completely on the other side while I'm not $130 on the other side. I'm a little bit on the other side. I thought the sprite work 
was really fun. Uh, the main character, really cute, very emotive, lots of expression in the animations for such an old, simple game. Now, it is a puzzle platformer, so there's only going to be a limited, you know, you can't do a whole lot with that. It's going to be going off of the same thing over and over again, but that doesn't necessarily make it a bad thing. I think that the amount of levels in the game really can add to how expansive of an experience is. And I can see spending a lot of time on this game, getting through all the different types of puzzles that it can build for you. And I, I don't know. I definitely not a $130 game. That seems completely ridiculous. Uh, John, what was the price at launch for this game? Jeez, uh, that will probably take a little research to get into. We can look that up. But uh, given the history of a lot of those games, I mean, we can probably estimate, what, 40, 50 bucks back in the day in the 80s or something like this, maybe. Um, nothing super crazy. I know at one point, uh, James and I, uh, when we were discussing some of these older titles, we had brought up that from a sense of inflation, uh, a lot of these games are sitting at about probably what they would have been um, at that point in time. So a game like Fire and Ice, I'll look it up probably in the 40, 50 range if I had to guess offhand. Um, one thing I didn't mention, though, uh, in my analysis is you do have the ability to take away little ice cubes, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so you can pretty much take ice and uh, put it back in little squares. So you don't have an ability to jump. So essentially, you're taking ice cubes and removing them, putting them in different areas, uh, trying to manipulate uh, the game as much as you can. And so that in itself is fairly interesting, just that whole concept of the puzzle. Um, but again, I, I'm going to stand by my my point in that I do not find a game like this to be worth remotely even close to, to $130. It kind of reminds me of Color of Dinosaur on the NES as well. I mean, I, I don't see the point in purchasing that for like 80, 90 bucks. So this isn't very far off. So I guess this week, John wins. The game is not worth the price that it's selling for. I mean, if you're a collector and you got to have that which nobody else has and you're willing to pay the price, then, you know, that's just what you're going to have to do. But in the uh, worth it or not worth it, I'm going to defer to John this week and say not worth it. Yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and deflate that one. Uh, totally not worth the price point of 130. So, uh, well, if you guys have any recommendations for games that you would like us to play in the future, and we're not talking things like a little Samsung's, we know damn well it's not worth a thousand dollars. You know, if you got some titles that are sitting around the twenty dollar, thirty, forty dollar range that you'd be interested in learning, not necessarily learning more about, but hearing our take on is it truly worth that price point? Uh let us know and we'll play it. We'll look into it. If we don't have a copy on hand, we will get a copy on hand. And uh if there's anything else, uh anything more modern, indie coming out that you're interested in seeing, let us know about that too. I mean, we're we're trying to bring together the old school 
smaller game types with the new school smaller game types because what used to be you know triple a back in the 80s and is now indie in the modern day they're a lot more aligned so we'll get a take on each side and you know we'll keep going through and seeing uh seeing what's out there and you know what's what's worth your time and what's worth your money well, we thank you for listening in. And as always, if there's any topics that you're interested in hearing in on, uh, other than us just, um, you know, going through and either trashing games or making games look great, uh, let us know and uh, feel free to comment below. This has been John and Ryan, and we're the Game Deflators. Mm-hmm.